Welcome to Rebels with a Purpose, powered by the voices of Catapult X, who are mobilizing capital, technology, people, and heart to solve the world's biggest challenges. In this podcast, we pose five questions to leaders who are changing the world and its systems. I'm your host, Kate Byrne, CEO of Catapult X. AI and finance, a magical mix or a major nightmare? Rebel with a Purpose, Bina Amanoff, who's the Global Director of Global AI Institute and the lead of AI and Ethics at Deloitte, believes the former. In her words, we need to stop dabbling with AI and start embracing and industrializing it so that AI solutions can be deployed on a large scale across entire enterprises. That's when the true systemic change can take place. Bina Amanoff. Welcome, welcome to Rebels with a Purpose. Bina is a fantastic, not only senior level executive, but a very gifted author of Trustworthy AI, which we'll be digging into a little bit later. But before we do, there's all sorts of magic that we want to discuss with Bina. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Kate. I am excited and looking forward to our conversation. It's such an important one. But before we get specifically into the the necessity of, of, frankly, trusting technology and AI and a few other topics, I would love for you to share your path and your journey and, and how you kind of wended your way to where you are today. You know, I think it all started with uh, my love for math and mathematics. And it, uh, you know, it kind of got me on the path towards computer science, which was relatively new when I started. And you won't believe it, Kate, like when I first heard of AI or, you know, read books on AI, it was, you know, robots taking over the world, the extreme scenario. But even though I was studying computer science, I couldn't do anything with AI. It was very much in theory, right? So there was this other extreme, that gap was there even back then. Uh, so, you know, I started my work as a coder or developer, and but always anchored on the data side. So, you know, SQL developer, database developer, database designer, modeler, data architect, grew through the ranks in that journey of, you know, technical path, and then moved on to leadership across different industries. So, you know, even though I anchored myself on data, BI, analytics, I was exploring different industries right from, you know, financial sector to manufacturing and telecom. So it it gave me a perspective of how data is being used in different industries, in different settings, in different contexts. And I was very fortunate to have had that firsthand experience to be kind of, you know, leading these teams, building out these technologies, which brought enormous business value. And there were always risks associated with it, right? So that's why when this topic of ethics started getting more and more visibility, I realized that, you know, there were real world uh, cases where that should be a concern and where there are real world use cases where it really doesn't matter. And just like, you know, if you take AI as a technology, it is very context specific right? It depends on how you're using it. 
that's how it ended up uh, you know turning into a book because i really wanted to convey that there are a lot of good things that ai can do and is doing already and ethics and trust are absolutely crucial and here are the ways you can think about it and you can get your arms around it how do you move it from theory and philosophy to the real world applications so that we can actually start solving for, for it and not just keep talking about it with regards to the notion of you know this varied experience through a number of different industries is there one that you think doesn't have as much fear associated with it uh, with regards to AI and technology, that, that's sort of, of course, we're going to do this based on the context, I guess. Absolutely. I think you're going to hear that a lot in our conversation today is it depends. It's not black and white. It is not, you know, the, there is this fixed answer. It's not a one size fits all. So it absolutely depends. So the fears or the negativity, that also depends on the industry and the use case. Here's an example, right? Like anywhere where there is not much human data involved or, you know, direct impact to humans, you know, bias, which is what you hear a lot about, bias and fairness, really don't come into play. Right. I've worked on where we've used AI and machine learning to predict jet engine failure. Right. And that's really looking at machine IoT data. And there is not much bias that you need to worry about. What you do need to worry about is that reliability of that algorithm. You know, is it exposing new security uh, vulnerabilities, which didn't exist before you started using algorithms? So I think the fear, the negativity itself depends. If you're using it, say, in a factory, right? The fear is really about uh, from a future of work perspective, right? How are you going to upskill the existing workforce to be able to use this new technology effectively? So the answer is it depends. And because of that workforce, you just mentioned that magic word. Now we find ourselves for the first time in history with five different generations, right? Mm -hmm. Is there a difference from generation to generation in terms of acceptance and concern? or I would say skepticism. On the one hand, technology is usually surrounded by digital natives, right? However, on the other hand, they often can be the greatest skeptics, especially with some of the things that have been taking place that we've seen over the past couple of years with data breaches, right? And, and privacy concerns. So sometimes those very digital natives are the greatest naysayers. Yeah, yeah. And there's definitely a difference in opinion, thoughts and approach, to, you know, from a generational perspective. And I personally see it like, honestly, I don't think my parents know very much about what I do and what I'm talking about. Uh, I can tell you in my book, they, they were able to understand. I think there's about eight pages of comics. You know, it was something they could read and, oh, you know, this is what it means, right? But, you know, it really depends uh, on the generation. On the other hand, I have my teenagers who will happily hand over their data to anybody that provides a better service, whether it is to their, you know, music provider, right? If it gives more personalized music recommendations, yes, go for it. I think the definitions itself are evolving since you mentioned privacy. If you think about privacy, right, uh, if you looked at uh, three years ago, you know, data it needs to be protected, you know, my data, there was a whole movement around it. But the definition of privacy itself has evolved based on what we've all been through in the past couple of years, right? 
Can we really do contact sharing? Can we really develop drugs at a faster pace if we don't share the data? Right. So if you look at the contact sharing scenario where, yes, it is, you know, tracking your location, but if it is preventing the spread, if it is for good use, is privacy more important than spreading a pandemic? So those balances have to be hit. So I think it, it really depends on the context. What is un- underlying to all yeah. of this, Kate, is really being transparent about it, which is not something that we've been able to do very effectively. So I think the conversation is much better, uh, you know, for digital natives to, you know, start figuring out what is important, what are the things that are non-negotiable versus what are the things that are negotiable and make those informed decisions. And it, it is really not a one size fits all. It's not always about fairness. There is there are you know scenarios where fairness and bias don't even come into picture, but you know, AI is being applied, right? So being able to think holistically from a context perspective is what's going to get us to those solutions and you know drive more of that generational uh, equivalency, meaning, you know, that I don't see as much fear for AI in my teenagers as, as, as I see in our generation and to some extent, you know, in the prior generation. But, but you know, if to a large yes. extent, they're not AI fluent. They don't, you know, they don't really understand the full impact of it. So there is, you know, it's, it's really up to us, the digital natives, to bring everybody along. Bina, this is going to seem simplistic. But I was talking about this with a friend of mine who is a a futurist. And we were talking about, you know, the meaningfulness of words and word choice. And she brought up an interesting point. She said, I think people have an issue with the name. It's artificial intelligence. And really what would have been more helpful potentially and actually more accurate would have been like assistant or assistive or assistant intelligence so that it was helping you was a friend was something that the user was going to be driving and navigating right that you had the control you had the hands on the wheel versus oh my gosh you know revenge of the bots kind of thing (laughs) yeah I, i think your friend is absolutely right i've certainly heard that in my circles as well where you know assistive intelligence augmented intelligence where it is you know augmenting our own intelligence but not necessarily taking over the the word does have connotations that you know it's somehow recreating existing intelligence in a way that it's going to take over i think about other words similarly what else is artificial that you know we use in our regular lives right which you know sometimes that word is not there right think about uh, flying right birds flying is natural but you know when you get on an aircraft and fly that is artificial flight right but it's not called artificial flight it's just you know flying and um, the other example i think you of you know is grass right you have natural lawns and then there is artificial grass that that's being used to simulate and it's actually replacing natural grass and in that case it's Usually not a terrible scenario, especially the state I live in, California, we're going through a drought. So, you know, having that to keep your surroundings green and pretty is a way. There there are side effects to it, 
right? Especially for pets, like because artificial grass can heat up and, you know, cause a lot of burns and stuff like that. So, you know, I think the word is suggestive and is based on some of the things humans have created in the past. But if you stick to that artificial grass example, that also, you know, there are good things, but there's also bad things that happen with it, right? Even with flight, uh, you know, we, we, we don't call it artificial flight, even though that's what it is. It does have side effects, right? It increases our carbon footprint. It can cause accidents and so on, right? So, you know, I think your friend is right. There could have been different ways it could be called. But also, historically, the word artificial has been used in this context. True. And I'm thinking of artificial limbs, which obviously are quite additive and been incredibly helpful and enabled people and empowered people, quite frankly. Yes. But there's also side effects of artificial limbs where it can cause an infection, right? And there is, you know, if you put a future of work lens to it, you need to practice on how how to use that effectively. So I think great example. I had not thought of it, but it's very similar, you know, dimensions you need to consider for any of these. Absolutely. So when you were doing the research for the book, were there, say, three common either pitfalls or obstacles that people came up against? And then what are three ways that people could, you know, aside from buying the book and reading it, but what are three ways and solutions that people can help kind of overcome those obstacles? So, you know, I've kind of put boundaries on how to think about uh, trust and ethics in AI. And the reason was because otherwise it can very quickly go into these what if discussions, right? Uh, Very philosophical discussions. You know, what if you leave behind this group versus this group? What if this happens? And I think it is important to arrive at any kind of solution. It's important to kind of define that use case, the context, right? Define the boundaries of AI. Do not talk in terms of headlines and, uh, you know, vague, like, oh, all AI is bad or AI needs to be always explainable or AI always needs to be fair. By the way, which, you know, it is impossible to make AI completely fair. So, you know, it is uh, it is being able to define the boundary of how are you trying to solve for trust in the context of this particular scenario? I think that's the first step. And then the second step is to define those metrics, right? Because it's impossible to def- uh, have complete fairness. That's just never going to happen. But then you have to define what are the acceptable metrics. So step two is defining the metrics. And here I, I can give you an example. Think of, you know, using facial recognition in a law enforcement scenario to, you know, identify or tag criminals. You know, there is no percentage of error that is allowed. But if you're using facial recognition at traffic lights to identify human trafficking victims or kidnapping victims, then in that case, you know, you have to think the metric is more of is this technology helping us identify more victims than we could by using just human eyesight or without using this technology? What's the difference? And it might be that, yeah, you're getting only 30% more identifications than you could if you didn't use this technology, but it's still 30% more victims being rescued. 
Now, yes, that algorithm could be biased. It may not be, you know, identifying every possible, and that's why it's recognizing only 30% of the times. But is that still better? And is that still acceptable than none, right? So, you know, defining those metrics within those boundaries, what are the acceptable levels? And at what point you say, no, it's just, you know, 5% better than human eyesight. So, you know, we can choose. We don't want to use it, right? But it really comes down to defining those metrics and then adhering to that, right? Because that's what's missing. And then the third one is really, I think every person in an organization should care about this. We tend to think that solving for trust and ethics is an IT problem or is a data scientist problem, and it's not. The other big mistake we make is we think it's a big tech problem, and it's not, right? It, it is for big tech as well, but it's also for every organization in the world who might be just using an AI tool, right? And I don't think there are many companies, many governments in the world that's not using AI in some form or the other. They may not be building it, but they might be using it. Maybe it is in an accounting system that they use. Maybe it's in their people management software that is AI embedded. Empowering every employee within your business on what trustworthy principles are important to the organization. What are the defined metrics? How are we going to identify it so that they can themselves find some of these challenges? What I mean by that is, you know, if Say you have an intern at your organization who is evaluating personalized marketing software, looking at different vendors. Mm -hmm. You know, that person, that intern should be able to ask the right questions and should know how to escalate it if those questions are not answered. You know, so let's stick to that facial recognition software, like being able to know, yes, we are okay with 30%, you know, accuracy because it's still better. That is important than saying, no, this algorithm is biased. It's never going to find 100% of the victims. So, you know, let's stop it, right? So, so empowering every employee and making sure that every person in the organization is empowered to ask those questions and has the knowledge to ask those questions is super important. It is not a big tech or data scientist only problem. You know, three things came to me um, while you were speaking. One is there's just no getting around intentionality. You just, first thing, you have to sit down and say, okay, what are the overarching intentions of this? Which then sets that context and those boundaries, right? And kind of a soft framework, I suppose, for the measurements, right? For the metric piece. And then the second piece is, and this is a little bit out there, so, you know, bear with me while I kind of gush this out. But while you were speaking, I thought, huh, isn't it funny? In a way, AI is really forcing, beginning to really make companies work at defining what is trustworthy. This is how we have to be transparent. So it's counterintuitive. In fact, the very thing that people are freaking out about, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my job. It's like, no, actually it can be used, especially when each person is empowered to help build an incredibly trustworthy, super transparent work culture. I am so much in agreement with them. AI is actually exposing our own 
you know, systems that have been broken for decades, right? We've all heard of that classic recruitment example, right? But when you start looking at the human-made recruiting decisions, you can see the biases that have crept in, right? And you cannot expect that AI is going to have a different metric than humans have. And that's what AI is kind of forcing us to do is to also look at that behavior and say, you know, how do we actually build a better world? Because it's forcing that conversation completely in agreement. So what's the third one, Kate? Well, so it was those two. And then the third was this whole notion of just judgment. At the end of the day, people are involved and it comes down to one's discernment and one's judgment. There will be a human interaction on making the call of, okay, I've gotten this information, so yes, I'm going to go with this system or not. And you can't fault that really on AI. That's, you know, one finger pointing out, three finger pointing back at you, right? So it's, again, another point where there's always going to be a human act, right? There will always be human involvement in this. There's no getting away. And you can't all of a sudden go into either victim mode or scapegoat mode, right? Um, which I just, I hadn't really thought of it that way. And I'm thinking about how just the education, how important the education piece is for each employee, because to your point, we're already using AI in so many different ways in so many different departments, but you never thought of it that way. Even the way you were just talking about flight, right? It's like, huh, that's true. I think like anything, the more and more familiar people get with it, and the more that we're able to educate and, and create conversation around the concerns, just the better, because then people won't be afraid, one, to state their concern, two, so often feel like an idiot if they have a concern, because it's very normal to, and just get people comfortable talking again. And great, guess what? I, as most of the listeners on Rebels with a Purpose know, I'm a, I, I love a good debate. So not everyone's going to agree all the time. That's okay. In fact, at least we're uprooting these issues. Yeah. And to your point, you know, it's also educating yourself, right? And not falling for those clickbait headlines and assuming that every AI is bad. Look, I'm an optimist, <laughs> as, as you can probably tell. And I know, you know, AI can make our lives better, right? Uh, and just like, you know, th there are so many other things that's artificial that exists around us and has improved our quality of life, has made humanity better. And it comes with risks. So let's talk about it. Let's figure out how to solve for it. Let's start by educating everybody and not make it just about headlines and marketing and philosophy. It is so much more than that. And it is something that I feel that we can solve for. No, I agree. And the truth is everyone just wants to kind of be a heads up. They want to be informed. So if you let me know, hey, we may come across X, Y, Z. Okay, then when you do... It is like, okay, that was going to happen. As opposed to, uh oh, see, I knew there was some kind of nefarious secret thing yeah. that was about to happen that someone wasn't telling me. And I was like, so, Bina, I'm going to ask you to put on your futurist hat now. What do you think exists now that won't in five years? Uh, in five years, my hope is that we would have solved all these problems around trust and ethics to a large extent and that we would have 
uh, regulations, some high level regulations. I do think we are entering an era where there will have to be self-regulation and regulation coexisting just because technology is growing so fast. So I do think there will be more policies, regulations and best practices because that's the missing piece. So specifically on AI and trustworthy AI, I think, you know, those are the two ones. And then the third one, I think AI itself will expand out into these very traditional professions that have existed for centuries like you know agriculture education you know those are industries that have not been as impacted or disrupted by ai and digital technologies i think we're going to see that changing over the next five years and then sort of again looking back and then looking forward has there been something that has not happened yet that you thought was going to And then on the flip side of that, what happened faster than you expected? I would say AI itself. Look, when I I still remember when when I studied, you know, it was it it moved from textbooks to real world rapidly in my own lifetime, right? Even though the term was coined in 1956, right? There was there was too many AI winters and you know things were just not moving along. I remember we didn't have access to data and we didn't have access to you know the compute that we have today. So I think that AI itself has accelerated so fast and it's going to continue to accelerate. The other piece I I do see happening is also, you know, the blending of technologies, creating new business models, creating new value, but also new risks, you know, specifically around trust that need to be addressed. In terms of the other question, what I anticipated and hasn't seen happening yet is, um, you know, really the educational impact. We haven't seen AI growing as rapidly onto the AI for good side. Uh, It has been very much in the value creation from a business perspective, whether it's cost savings or new revenue models. We haven't seen it going and tackling our traditional industries that I was just mentioning, which which I thought it would, given, you know, how much dependency we have on food and education. You know, I, I haven't seen that side of AI exploding as rapidly as, you know, on the business and government side. And so many of those systems need such serious disruption because they have just not evolved for eons. And I choose that word very specifically, right? Yeah. Classrooms have always been the same. One teacher, multiple students. That model hasn't changed when we know that people learn differently. And, you know, just between my two teenagers, I can say both of them learn very differently. They they are smart. They're creative. But the way they absorb information is very different. One is more visual. The other is more reading books. But education is one size fits all. And there is an opportunity to actually make it more personalized to truly unlock human potential in every human being, not just those fit in the current education model. Exactly. It's customizable. When I worked with George Lucas at his Education Foundation, that was exactly what we were really trying to do was lift up the fact that there are, you know, five different types really usually up that way that people learn. So let's figure out a way so that we can actually, to your point, unlock the exponential, if you will, of all these different people. And I, again, I think that takes intentionality. It takes time. It takes curiosity. 
all things that we need to see more of moving forward. And again, just a tremendous amount of trust. In closing, what would you say are like the three most important issues you think people should be aware of and thinking about? I think what we need to start paying attention to is all the other new technologies that's coming. I think with AI and trust, we are playing catch up. But as new technologies come into play, whether it's NFTs or metaverse or, you know, an AR, VR, you know, all of these technologies are going to have those negative side effects, the risk. Yep. And unlike AI, where we're playing catch up with trust, let's proactively not just focus on the value creation, all the cool things that metaverse will unlock. Let's also think about who is it going to leave behind? And how do we make sure we're bringing everybody along? Who uh, is it going to impact negatively? And how do we make sure we put the guardrails in place so that that doesn't happen? So I think uh, that that would be on top of mind is, you know, proactively looking at other emerging technologies and learn the lesson that we learned on AI and say, okay, for these, you know, we'll do the good things, but also let's focus on the ways it could go wrong and prevent it early on so that there are no more headlines around it. The second one I would say is, you know, really being able to look at the blending of these new technologies, which will cause additional challenges, additional opportunities for sure. But what does that business model look like? Where, you know, which industry is it going to disrupt? What's the impact going to be when AI, AR, VR and blockchain comes together? You know, the metaverse gets created, but what other business models might evolve from it? For example, the internet and social media didn't exist 30 years ago, right? right? And we didn't really anticipate that business model. And we're just learning as we go along. Whereas I think, you know, uh, we, we have an opportunity, you know, for everybody to think about as they're learning about this, to start thinking about those new business models and get ahead of the game. The third one I would say is, you know, uh, thinking about technology and uh, having basic tech fluency is important for every individual because whether you like it or not, want it or not, you're using it. It's, you know, 5G and your phones, you know, and social media and your computers, you know, your chats, which are getting real-time translated. There's AI. So how do you get basic tech fluency? It doesn't mean you need to learn coding. doesn't mean you need to become a, uh, you know, software engineer or a data scientist, but at least you should know what these you know, big terms mean? What's the real meaning behind some of these technology buzzwords? So becoming tech fluent, I think, is a big thing I would recommend for everybody. And, you know, that's really true because that just gives you confidence because you're familiar with it. So not only do you trust the technology, but actually you really, it goes back to you trusting you with the technology and understanding. Mm -hmm. And again, not feeling like, oh my gosh, people are going to find me out and all of a sudden, having this technology being this opportunity for creation of imposter syndrome, right? Which I think mm -hmm. so many people have. Are there certain technologies that you're really, you see coming down the pike that you're really excited about and also afraid of? Well, I'm afraid strong, um, skeptical about uh, look, I'm a technology optimist. <laughs> My foundational training, you know, I've spent 
years studying computer science, coding and developing. And, uh, you know, I, I've been always in the technology space and I'm an optimist. So I, I don't think I'm skeptic about it as much as I would say, you know, the intentions of behind it, behind the people who are creating or using it. Yes, having a personal assistant is great, but what kind of boundaries are you going to embed in it? Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm very excited about the physical aspects of AI coming to life, right? We right. do a lot in factory floors of manufacturing, but having a personalized Jarvis <laughs> or butler who can do things for you, that you know, that's very appealing. And I think, you know, that sounds like a great opportunity. Uh, and then, you know, having these drone service deliveries as it's taking over, I think that can be you know, at scale where may, there is maybe a pathway to solving more, many of our supply chain problems and also getting us closer to the source of the materials, right? If we can solve it at scale. So I'm very excited about the physical aspects of AI, whether it's robots or drones, you know, I think uh, there's, there's tremendous potential there if we can unlock it in the right way, in a trustworthy way. Last question, I promise, because I keep asking them because I could talk to you all day long. But can you share a little bit about your nonprofit, The Humans for AI? Yes, yes. So I started Humans for AI about uh, five years ago. And it came with the intent because, you know, there's um, obviously a lack of diversity in technology and AI has inherited that problem. And, you know, as I was building AI teams, I realized, you know, many times, even though I was leading the team and hiring most of the people, I was the only woman at the table, which was really hard for me to accept and sink in. And I started going deep into the problem. I realized we've inherited it from tech as AI. But, you know, for AI itself, if we don't have diversity at the table, the AI we will build are going to be inherently not complete, not robust, because there are perspectives missing at the table, right? So for AI's own growth, for AI to reach its full potential, we need diversity, so how do we get more diversity to the table? And I don't think everybody needs to be a data scientist because when you're building AI products and solutions, you still need the creators. You need the UX and UI designers. You need the human computer interface uh, experts. You need testers. You need product managers who are the SMEs in that domain. So how do we drive fluency among women and uh, URMs so that they can get onto this AI teams and bring diversity to the table, right? It's important for AI, but it's also important to have that diversity at the table so that no group is left behind. So Humans for AI really focuses on providing AI fluency training specifically targeted at women and people of color and people of different geographic and cultural backgrounds. So we are a global team that works across the globe on providing basic AI fluency to make sure everybody gets a voice, gets a seat at the table. I love that because, you know, so many people argue, oh, technology has just widened the gap. I don't think it has to. It really doesn't. And I think, especially given that there's some soft skills and nuance that it needs, yeah. that Yes, men have a feminine side and women have a masculine side, but there are some pieces and um, just attributes that we that females have that come more naturally that could actually really help, I don't know, make the technology more sensitive. 
or more yes. broad scope, right? More, as you just said, more holistic as opposed to just yes. black and white. It, it, you can bring in all those little shades of gray and peach and fuchsia. <laughs> well, listen, Bina, thank you so, so much um, for making the time. And I'm, I'm going to do a shameless plug for your book. It's fantastic. It's available on Amazon, right? Yes. And in bookstores. And uh, I love it because it breaks it down. It enables you and empowers you to do exactly what Bina's just been talking about and putting some of these practices into action. It gives you questions to ask. It gives you exercises to put your team through, which then results in this empowered team that Bina's been recommending that we all start building within our hallowed halls of our businesses. So I want to thank you for that because for generations to come, you've just opened the door so that everybody realizes, oh my gosh, friend or foe, clearly huge friend potential. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on your show. And it's been a pleasure to speak with you as always and your audience and uh, would love to hear back from your audience. Okay, great. Bina, is there a place you would love people to you know, send questions to? Yes. Uh, so I have a website, both an author website and the book website. It's trustworthyaibook.com and binamanath.com. And, you know, there's a contact us page. It comes directly to my inbox. So please, you know, feel free to reach out and would love to keep the conversation going. Awesome. All right. Listen, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And to all of you listening, thanks so much for making the time. And we look forward to having the conversation in our next episode. This is Kate Byrne with Catapult X. Thanks for downloading our podcast, Rebels with a Purpose, available wherever you get your podcasts. Look out for our next conversation with Allison Fort, CEO of Catapult Foundation, where we'll talk about the intersection of impact investing and tech founders. If you like what you hear in this series, join us in person at our upcoming Future Fest event. Yep, we're back in Oslo, Norway, May 18th through the 21st, 2022.